Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back for another edition. So oftentimes I open up an episode saying, you know, I've never talked about this before. So I did a uh, search to see if I've ever talked about the topic I want to talk about today. And I did hit on it in episode 61, which is what, like over 40 episodes again. I'm going to take a a little different bent on this subject. So the subject is investing. And I don't talk a lot about investing on the podcast. And I'm wondering why. It seems to be such a typical financial topic, something that financial planners and investment advisors talk about all the time. And there's so much written on investing and how to invest successfully. There's just loads and loads of information out there. So I still want to take a look at this from a more emotional view and maybe dispel some uh, myths, some burdens, extreme beliefs that parts of you may be carrying around investing. And in, in the big picture, when it comes to building financial independence, which um, I think is something most of us aspire to, especially when we can't earn an income anymore. Um, retirement is a poor, poor word, but whenever that time is that we can't work, and I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast or not, but there's a statistic where something like 80% of baby boomers say their retirement plan is summed up in one word. And that's cool. Most of them say, you know, I want to work past 65. The problem is when you look at the statistics, it's something like 39% of people 65 can't physically work anymore. And 41%, or 40, and maybe it's 40%, uh, can't find work. So only like 20, 21% of people 65 or older are still working, which is a long ways from the 80% that say, yeah, that's my retirement plan. So it's, it's important that we have some type of income to replace our working income when we can't work anymore. And this is just part of taking care of ourselves financially. And 
why we really focus a lot on the here and now in the podcast, what's coming up for me right now, what the emotional blocks are. Ultimately, setting aside funds to replace our income is a pretty big goal or outcome of a lot of financial therapy. And yes, it can take a lot of work to get to that point where we can reduce expenses, increase income, and start the discipline of investing and saving. A lot of emotional work uh, often needs to be done before we get to that point. So for someone like me, the, the investment part seems to be the easy part. If we get everything else in place, then we can begin investing. I mean, I'm thinking of clients that I've worked with that have been investing nothing, that started investing $7,000 a month, another one $6,000 a month, $2,000 a month. So it is an outcome of doing the emotional work. Nevertheless, I do want to talk a little bit about investing in some of the... um, Oh, what I want to say, smoke screens that parts of us can use to cover up the um, wounded, the wounded parts of us that are, could be scared to death of investing or scared of losing our money or scared of the unknown. And one of those smoke screens that is pretty common, especially by folks that are conservative and have a lot of fear about being scammed or losing their money, is that investing in the stock market is the same as gambling. Now, I'm going to deal with this first from a logical standpoint. So if if you're one of those that say, yeah, oh man, uh, investing in the stock market is so risky. I mean, there's no difference between gambling. I could lose it all. Undoubtedly, there is a part of you that is really afraid of what it means to lose it all. Maybe fear of being homeless or a lot of fear in that, that way. And sometimes when I'm working with a financial therapy client at some point in time in the session, I may ask them, you know, the part of you that believes investing in the stock market is gambling and that believes you could lose it all, would that part like some additional information? And I can't tell you when is the right time to introduce that because obviously logic does not solve uh, deeply ingrained money scripts that are held by parts of us. But sometimes these parts are, are open to saying, yeah, yeah, I'm open to some information. And, and being open is the key. So if you've got some parts of yourself that are like, yeah, right, I totally agree. This is, 
I could lose it all. It's gambling. My father lost it all. My mother, whatever stories there are. Just sit with that part of yourself for a little bit and, um, you know, bring compassion to it because it has a uh, really good intention. It wants to protect that vulnerable part of you, could be a traumatized part of you, from experiencing the fear of losing it all. And maybe ask that part if it would be willing to listen to some, some new information, if it'd be willing to consider that. So maybe it will and maybe it won't. But that's the, the angle that I'd like to approach this today, is, is trying to give that part some additional information that might help it with its fears. So, first I, I want to say that investing in stock markets, and I am talking about stock markets, and stock markets are uh, ownership of shares, ownership of the shares of corporations, companies that are in business. We have thousands of them in the United States. So, investing in the shares of these companies does carry risk. No question about it. So that's important that those financial parts of ourselves can understand that markets go up, markets go down, that you're almost guaranteed if you invest in the stock market of seeing losses. Now that doesn't mean realizing losses because you don't realize the loss unless you sell out. But you will see, I had this much a week ago and I have less today or a year ago or whatever it is. Now, typically these markets turn around and go back up, but a person really has to be with the anxious parts of themselves to stay the course when things go down. So what I, I want to cover is the myth that investing in the stock market is gambling. Because done correctly, investing in the stock market is not remotely gambling. So let's talk a little bit about gambling. I am not going to talk about gambling in the context of an addiction. Because gambling, compulsive gambling, is an addiction. So I want to talk about it as from a more uh, pragmatic view of equating investing with gambling. And I had a, a mentor, a really good friend and mentor, uh, George Chow, who's passed on a number of years ago. He and I were the first certified financial planners in South Dakota, along with Rick Welke, who's also deceased. And uh, George loved to gamble. <laughs> just loved it. And uh, near Rapid City, we have a place where gambling is legal called Deadwood South. And he would go up to Deadwood and just have a great time gambling. And the interesting thing was that George wasn't addicted. He was not compulsive in his gambling. 
because he could stop. And he played blackjack. And when you play blackjack, every hand you get, there is a statistically right way to play it. So he just loved, I mean, this was just entertainment for him. And if he lost 20 or $40 in a night, to him it was more fun than seeing a play, which mm, I can spend a whole lot more than $40 a night and seeing a play. And I, I went with him on a couple of occasions. And boy, if you were up $40, $60, it was time to walk away and <clears throat> go have a Coke or, or do something else. So the uh, he was pretty smart because blackjack, when it comes to, to gambling, is the um, the highest probability of winning of almost any game of chance. Now, interestingly enough, if you play every hand exactly right with blackjack, your chances of winning over a long period of play are 0%. It's just that you're going to lose less money with blackjack than the other games. In blackjack, for every $100 you bet, you'll lose only a dollar to two dollars. And that, again, is if you play each hand perfectly, which you won't. I think, generally speaking, I saw some odds. Your chances of winning are 42%. Your chances of losing are 48 or 49% on every hand. And your chances of tying are 8 or 9%. So that that's as good as it gets in gambling. Now, there's other games of chance that have a lot worse odds than blackjack. The ones I found were Keno and slot machines. There you had a 100% chance of losing, which again is the same as a 0% chance of winning, up to $50 for every $100 bet over time. All right? So, statistically, when we gamble, there is no chance over a period of time we're going to win. Now, that doesn't mean you don't get lucky. George would occasionally. And, and you win. Now, that's part that can keep um, somebody who's compulsive hooked. But the odds are, if you probably play this a lot and you added up everything over a lifetime of playing you are going to be behind. Now, that's quite different from the stock market, where the chances of a positive return over a long period of time, say 10 years, is over 94%. So put another way, the chance of losing is just 6% versus 100% with gambling. So for every $100 put into the stock market, there's a 94% chance you will win an additional $96, which that's an annual return of 7%. And quite frankly, I'm being very conservative because past performance indicates the annual return of U.S. stocks has ranged between 9 to 14% over the past 10 to 30 years. So, it, there's no comparison here. Just no comparison. Eh, you might be going, hmm, Rick, you haven't convinced me. I mean, 
I know people have lost fortunes in the stock market. It sure looks like they were gambling. Okay, so going back to my opening statement, the operative word in that paragraph is done correctly. So to understand this, we need to understand the difference between investing, which I would submit to you is done correctly, and speculating, which I would submit to you is done incorrectly. And I think I've I've talked about this before. I think in the podcast, I know I've mentioned it on, uh, on some of the PBS um, segments that I've done. There's three phases of um, saving money that we can go through. And, I, and I'm a little hesitant on that because the first phase is actually saving money, putting money in a checking account, building an emergency reserve, saving money. The second phase is investing. I mean, investing is always a long-term view. It's a long-term horizon, say 10 years or more. It's very slow moving and it's very boring. And then there's speculation. Speculation is more akin to gambling. You have a short-term horizon. You want to get out, get in quickly, make a million dollars as fast as possible. So it's fast-moving, and it's full of adrenaline and excitement. It is not boring. And what I have observed of folks is that person saves money and. I am one of these people when I was hmm, maybe around 21, 21, 24 years old. I had saved uh, $12,000 and I decided I'm going to invest this. And I went and put it all on uh, gold futures and pork belly futures. Let me just say those are highly, highly speculative, won't even call them investments. And I lost everything. Okay? And a part of me said, wow, I'm never going to invest again. I didn't invest in the first place. I went from saving to speculating, got burned, which is so typical. Somewhere I saw a stat that says 96% of all people who speculate lose. I can't find that stat for you, but uh, it, it's so common. And uh, it took me years to figure out what investing was. And investing uh, just didn't quench my appetite for excitement and control. All right. So <clears throat> there is emotional work right there. It needs to be done if uh, you kind of relate to that. So, here's the point. Can you gamble in the stock market? Absolutely. So, you can use the stock market to gamble. 
right? And that's done incorrectly. So when we do that, there's ways that we can gamble with it in the stock market with uh, as low a probability as winning as in games of chance. Now, what does gambling in the stock market look like? Frequent trading, day trading, buying this morning, selling this afternoon, even in a week, a month, even a year. I'm making undiversified bets on single stocks, putting it all on Tesla, putting it all on this, putting it all on two stocks, putting it all on five stocks. Highly risky. Trying to buy low, sell high. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? That uh, there's all sorts of statistics that say that is a loser's game. Buying what's called naked puts, options, shorts. All of these are speculating. Other common gambling plays that are smokescreened as investing are playing the futures market like I did. And there's all sorts of commodities where you put down a thousand and you borrow 99,000. Highly risky. Cryptocurrencies is another one. All of these activities are not investing. They are speculating. So what does investing in the stock market look like? Well, you could be putting your money into something called an ETF or a mutual fund that holds thousands of stocks around the world, say like a global index stock fund. And then leaving that money alone without touching it for 10 or more years. Now that's so boring. And of course, you could add to this fund once a month. You could do it all at once. But the point is that you don't sell it. And if you get an index fund with uh, that's very low cost, maybe a Vanguard fund, or some uh, index funds at Schwab or other places. You don't really run the risk of a bad manager because an index fund doesn't take management. They're, they're man isn't actively managed. They're um, not trying to beat the market. So this is really boring. Doesn't require studying the stock market, picking the winners, avoiding the losers. Almost anyone can invest successfully in this manner. The key is keeping it boring by not panicking. When those fearful parts of ourselves, those vulnerable parts of ourselves come up and start um, getting concerned and, and financial management parts of ourselves say, oh my God, I got to sell so I can calm the anxiety of this vulnerable. IFS speak, when we are self-led in our investing, we can be with the parts of ourselves that are panicking, that are getting really, really uh, fearful, and help them get through periods when markets do decline. And markets can decline 50% in a year. That can be tough to handle when we don't have the information that this is normal. It's normal when a, if I own 10,000 stocks around the world, which you can, 
in one of these mutual funds, and they go down 50%, that's normal. It's just as normal for them to go up 50% in a year. Now, it doesn't happen very often, but still, it's in the range of probability. So when it comes to investing ambivalence, often not your friend, is your friend. If your funds are invested, diversified in an index fund with low cost, your chances of success are hugely in your favor. So, of course, there's some caveats to investing like this. You need to have a time horizon of 10 years or more. So if you're age 65 and retiring, no, you're not going to put 100% of your investments in stocks, but maybe you put 50%. If you're in your 20s or 30s, yeah, putting 100% in stocks probably makes uh, a lot of sense. And also, you may not even need to invest in the stock market at all. If, if you are retired and you have enough cash to fully fund your retirement needs, with a 99% chance of having enough, then you don't need to invest at all. But if you don't have enough cash to get you through retirement, that means a portion of your retirement next nest egg is going to need to be invested in the stock market. So I hope that you've uh, enjoyed this. I know I got a little technical, a little logical, but I hope... Uh, uh, this was information that uh, may be uh, helpful to, the, to some of those parts of you that get so concerned and uh, afraid when it comes to investing in stocks. So, Thanks for listening, and I look forward to being with you next time. Take care. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.